0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Arena in uh, one of the most enjoyable nights that I've certainly had on radio. Brett Phillips uh, leading the team uh, tonight. And uh, just speaking of Ash, I think we're going to see her a little bit uh, later on. She will be part of the build-up uh, to this year's Women's Singles uh, final. Um, a lot going on around Melbourne Park uh, today. We've got uh, a 90-minute preview here. We've got uh, different guests uh, popping in. Happy to take your text, 0433 98 11 16. Thanks to Harcourt's for all things real estate. You can connect with the booth uh, right throughout the night, 0433 98 11 16. Always great to have the wise uh, counsel of uh, Christopher Clary, New York Times... Uh, tennis sports correspondent, long-time writer. Chris, we are at day number 13 of the Australian Open. We are here for the women's decider uh, tonight. Djokovic and Tsitsi pass uh, tomorrow night. We're right down to the business end. Great to have your company again.
1: Hey, great to be back with you. It's not day 13 for you, Brett. It's longer than that, huh? The Aussie summer goes on here.
0: Yeah, it even starts the year before, uh, which uh, <laughs> makes it even seem uh, longer when we think back. The United Cup feels like a very uh, very distant memory now mm. when it started on the uh, 29th of uh, December. Uh, we've actually got some tennis going on in front of us. Uh, you know, when, the great part about uh, the Australian Open is that we are, are immersed in uh, everything and when you watch a, a girls' singles final and a boys' singles final, when you look at the honour roll from years gone by, the majority are going to kick on to something in the sport. And, in fact, we've just, <laughs> we're just out the corner of our eye watched a young boy from uh, Belgium, Alexander Blox who's uh, won the boys' final just literally a minute ago. When you think of David Goffin, you think of Kim Clijsters and uh, Justine and of course, coming from uh, a country, a small country uh, in Europe... Uh, we have had two cracking finals uh, today in both the uh, the girls and the boys. who had wheelchair action, uh, but these are the future hopes. And not every Grand Slam, of course, has the the boys and girls singles final on the main court. Rod Laver Arena is is uh, has been hosting uh, the uh, the youngsters for a number of years now. What an experience, whether you win or lose, the experience of playing on a big court.
1: Yeah, I think it's great to see. And actually, you know, the atmosphere is obviously not full, but it's, you know, I think these these guys will feel like they were pretty well supported here. It's a nice nice vibe, and I I do hear the kids talking about that after the fact and saying how special it is, because obviously at Wimbledon it doesn't happen. You know, they're keeping the grass protected and all that. But, um, you know, Lerner team, American who just lost that match, that final, it was very close. It was 7-6, 10, 11-9 in the Mm. final tiebreaker. He had a forehand passing shot at 9-all that could have changed his his early life there a little bit, but... um, we get a little bit of a factory going here We're on the American uh, junior side with the boys. We're getting more and more coming through each year, and it's, it's good to see that. And I think the Belgians have had it
0: for a while. He's just signed up, is not he, to, to college tennis over in the U.S.? I think he has. I'm not sure where he's going, though. I, mm. but I, I know that
1: he's a, he's the kind of guy, you look at his, his size. He's not the tallest guy. He's a lefty. He's very crafty. Yep. He's
0: the kind of guy I think could probably benefit from college tennis before he tries to test the pro waters for sure. Indeed. So uh, just jot these couple of names down, folks. Uh, Alexander Blocks of Belgium. And it was Alina um, Koronevich uh, uh, who won earlier today, uh, Russian uh, against Mira Andreeva, uh, all-Russian final. It was pretty emotional. Two very good friends. They played doubles together in this tournament. Unfortunately, they had to be a loser. There was a few tears, but uh, great memory. So uh, the youngsters uh, we love uh, watching. Last night we watched Novak Djokovic put on another uh, tremendous display. I mean, he's weak. Sitting in this booth, uh, Chris, Monday night, demon or? Uh, Wednesday night, of course, uh, Rublev, and last night, Tommy Paul. I mean, the, the, I, I don't think I've seen a, a more red-hot favorite mm. than Novak right right here and now in front
1: of us. Interesting, though, last night. I mean, as you saw, that first set, uh, either because of the situation with his father and all the tumult surrounding that and the lead-up to that match or just uh, accumulation of things, he was not at his sharpest by any means at the beginning of that match. You know, I don't think if Tommy would have won the first set, looking at the way their games matched up, that he was going to beat him, but it certainly could have made it a lot more interesting. And he had a big opportunity there when he uh, started the match uh, poorly. Novak was missing a lot of shots. Tommy was obviously very tight, and then he rolled it back from 5-1 to 5-all. And he had a sense if Tommy could get that set and get into it, he might have a chance to make it interesting. But it wasn't Novak's best match start to finish, but by the end, he was really rolling, and unforced errors were so rare and he just seems to be uh, striking the ball so cleanly once he gets on song. So I, for sure he's the favorite.
0: And also dealing with stuff away from the tennis court. And he seems to deal with it better than anyone. He can just get himself into this uh, zone where nothing distracts him. Now, we, there was a notable empty seat in the box last night with his father. And the statement put out yesterday of the events of the day before uh, passing through, you know, the Serbian supporters who gather. On the steps there where Rod Laver, Arena and Margaret Corder, Reno um, meet. He has gone out there after all of Novak's matches and sort of embraced the uh, fans and thanked the fans, opposed for a few uh, pictures. Obviously, there's, there's the one pitcher that drew the controversy of you know, links to him uh, supposedly supporting the war in Russia. I just wanted to play this little grab of Novak Djokovic uh, speaking at his press conference last night about uh, the controversy around his her father. This is Novak last night.
2: I was not aware of it until... Last night, uh, And then, of course, I, I was not pleased to see that. Um, uh, my father, my whole family and myself have been through several wars during the '90s, so as my father put in a statement, "We're against the war, we never will support any violence or any war. We know how devastating that is for the family, for people, in any country that is going through the war. The photo that he made, he was passing through. I heard what he said in the, in the video, he said cheers, and unfortunately some of the media has interpreted that in a, in a really wrong way. So I'm sorry that um, that has escalated so much, but uh, I hope people understand that uh, there was absolutely no intention whatsoever um, to support any kind of uh, war initiatives or anything like that. Of course, that it's not pleasant for me to, to go through this uh, with all the things that I had to deal with, you know, uh, last year and this year in Australia. So it's not something that I want or need. And I hope that people will uh, let it be, and uh, we can focus on tennis.
0: You sat in, Chris, on that media conference uh, last night. What did you make of it all, and that answer in particular?
2: Hey, there was
1: more than that, Brett. As you know, it was quite a remarkable. Uh, press conference, it really was. Novak had this sort of uh, statesman like quality under duress, which he's had to learn how to, I think, master and acquire over the years. You know, as far as in the moment defending the situation, giving what seemed like a plausible explanation in some ways, it was, I think, a good thing on his part that he addressed it and, and dealt with it. But I just feel like, is there no team meeting here at any point with Novak and the people around him mm. and deciding what the right approach is to take on these? Obviously, this is a very sensitive situation from the start when he arrives in Australia. His father, we all know, you know I'm sure, has played a huge role in Novak being the person that he is, and yep. and driving that that bus and helping him succeed. But he's also he's a loose cannon, and that's that's a well-known fact. So, do you really want your father out celebrating with Serbian fans after every match and taking photos with them and becoming a center of attention, even if the Russian thing doesn't happen? That doesn't make mm-hmm. like a very wise idea. And I feel like throughout Novak's career, you know, he claims he's been misunderstood a lot, and he claims that there's been a lot of um, some sometimes he has a bit of a persecution complex, which I can get from his perspective. He's not to be blamed for all his father's actions. Mm. But I feel within his group, there is a consistent lack of planning and communication that could foresee some of these events before they might happen and cut them off before they happen. It happened during the pandemic with his, uh, his tour in, in the Balkans as well. I mean, for him to be out there in a discotheque partying in the middle of this situation yep. with, with film going on and everything else, I'm not saying he should have done it. Mm. But in terms of just their own communication and what can go wrong, I think like there's a real uh, there's a real hole there. So, can you just
0: take our listeners a little bit more into that media conference in last night? We played one grab. We haven't got uh, the time to play the entire media conference of where the conversation sort of went from there. Because, as, as you've mentioned, um, I mean, he, he's used to dealing with uh, issues in and around his uh, tennis. And He has got that real elder statesman about him and being quite articulate and composed to be able to handle it all. But can you give us any further insights? Well, I think he talked he talked about the fact that, as you mentioned to mention in your in your grab there about.
1: You know, obviously, not happy about what happened to him last year. That this would occur again, and there would be more controversy like this. He kind of talked about just uh, the challenges that he's had to face over time, and and the idea of of having to you know to learn to, to deal with sometimes being, in his view, misunderstood. And and uh, he was a little bit fatalistic about it too, in the sense that I think he he realizes that now it's a little hard to, uh, to completely recast the situation. He knows it's kind of his lot, whether he feels he deserves it or not. He's got to cope with it. And this is just another thing, another layer, and. Honestly, you know, you just sensed in the guy's underlying strength. Yep. I'm not excusing anything that happened out there. And and actually, The Age did some good reporting. I read this morning where they brought in a a language expert to listen to the tape. It's not at all clear. It was just cheers. They also had this language expert saying perhaps it was long live Russia after all, Mm -hmm. depending which which word he used. It wasn't so clear. So I don't know exactly. But I do know that, um, you know, ultimately, Novak is a resilient person and he's a great champion. And I just think sometimes his his shot selection off the court
0: could use could use more work than his shot selection on the court. The authenticity of Novak, because I mean I, we have many many conversations, and you have existed in this uh, this tennis space longer than I have, uh, Chris. Because you'll talk to many people who believe he's not authentic, that some of the stuff is put on the public uh, persona, and there are people who have said to me, "Have you seen the behind the scenes Novak? This is a person that." Um, you know, wouldn't win you over. I, I mean, we never quite know about an athlete, do we? In their inner world. We go on actions and we judge actions. But how how would you describe Djokovic as, as the person and any... Um, insights you've been able to get into who the real Novak Djokovic is well a couple things Brett from covering sports and and big personalities for a long time is that
1: there is the public persona and then there's the private person and honestly you know we're not ever going to really know that private person entirely and then you think about people in your own life do you really know them on a public and private level fully it's not always easy to know what goes on when the door is closed so that's that's a hard thing to judge but I also feel like you have to leave some room for these people that go through these extraordinary things and a person like Novak has been has had an extraordinary life in terms of what he's been exposed to, uh, the experiences that he's had from a very early age, even without tennis, just going through the things he went through in Serbia with the NATO bombings and mm. his family situation, the father slapping a 20 Deutschmark bill on the table and saying, This is our last bit of money, what are we going to do, kind of thing. Those are pretty powerful experiences. So you have to give some sort of room, I think, for the evolution of a person and what they go through over time, and they're going to change a lot in that kind of environment. Yep. Like I saw with Andre Agassi, who's nothing as traumatic as that, but obviously a, a very driven and you know uh, aggressive father and, and being forced into tennis, and, and Andre, the person at 17 or 18, 19, and then what he became later on was night and day. You know, yeah, night and day So you have to give room for that kind of evolution, and I'm sure Novak's evolved a lot. But all I can say is from a journalistic perspective, I've interviewed him a lot over the years in different scenarios, he is—he's a complex guy. Uh, he doesn't take life lightly. He can be funny, but he's somebody who—who's always trying to looking at a way to incrementally, I think, improve the kind of uh, player and person he can be. Yep. Does he make the right choices all the time? Mm. I think probably not. But I think he's somebody who uh, has got a lot of depth to him, and he's a searcher. He's a quester. Yep. Sometimes he's on the wrong quest, mm. but he's thats what he's doing.
0: It's great at him. It's great at him that he hasn't had that same love. Hasn't it? The Federer and the Nadal have enjoyed the adulation they've enjoyed. Yeah, but he, but he came, came in as the villain. He came in, you know,
1: He was he was a bit, you know, Lendl after uh, Borg and McEnroe and that kind of yep. deal. He was kind of destined to be a, a disruptor in that regard. And then there was also the you know the situations where these sort of things have occurred over time. These sort of situations that he would call misinterpretations or, mm. you know, um, the way he's reacted at times to things. There there is a certain element of
0: injustice to some of it, but certainly not all of it. We're going to park that for just a moment. Uh, after the break, we're going to bring in uh, Brett Stein, who, the coach of uh, Tommy Paul, long-time coach, of course, uh, on the, the tour. And we're going to reflect on uh, last night, but also reflect on Tommy's journey and where that's at a, a breakthrough at this year's Australian Open to make his debut semi-final. Oh four double three ninety 33 98 11 16 you can keep your ticks uh, coming through. Uh, we are here for the magnificent Kia EV6 GT. It's the most powerful Kia ever crafted. We're building up to the women's final. That is about an hour and a half away tonight, of course. Alina Rybakina and Arena Sabalenka. I'll just walk past her in the hallway there, Chris, and I'll tell you what, I of the tiger in the zone, ready to win her first trophy. We'll see if that happens, but Brad Stein is coming up next.
3: The pinnacle of engineering, Kia EV6 GT, the most powerful Kia ever crafted. Live from Melbourne Park, this is SEN Tennis.
0: Certainly is building up to the women's final coming up uh, tonight. We hope it's going to be a classic uh, three-setter. Every indication, Chris Cleary, it could be. Uh, this is a good matchup uh, tonight. Rebukina and uh, Sabalenka will go through the story of both uh, a little bit uh, later on this hour. But uh, I think we're going to get a, a decent final tonight. Well, it's all they know
1: is three setters. They've played mm. three times, gone three, all and, right. and uh, I think uh, they're both, you know, playing awfully good tennis. It's going to be short points. You know, it's not going to be uh, double-digit rallies. May
0: not get one the whole match. No, no it's going to be uh, it's going to be plenty of firepower on court tonight. We want to reflect back on that uh, last night because over the last few years, uh, wearing the different hats here, I've had this man just in my ear with his uh, commentary, and then you see him in the coaches box and. Yeah, we go all the way back to uh, the early 90s um, and his association with uh, Jim Courier, back-to-back here and uh, famously jumping into the Yarra. But I, I love listening to his analysis and he's doing a mighty job with uh, Tommy Paul who's just had his best run at a major at making the semifinals. It's uh, a warm welcome to Brad Stein, his coach. Good to see you. Thank you so much. It's good to be seen. How do you, how do you reflect back on uh, last night? And I'm, I'm keen also to ask, you know, in that 48-hour window leading up to the semifinal... How invincible Djokovic was against Demonor and Rublev, and I, I know you won't take us totally inside, uh, Brad, as to how you right now formulate a game plan for Novak on this court in particular.
3: Well, the 48 hours leading up after Tommy won his quarterfinal, I mean, we were feeling pretty good. <laughs> we weren't feeling so good last night after the uh, after the match, you know, when you say reflecting on that that situation. But I mean, leading into it, you know, despite the fact that he had uh, pretty much demolished. Uh, Alex Diminar and and, uh, and Rublev, you got to go into the match feeling that you have a chance, you know, and, and uh, we did feel like that. We felt if Tommy could produce his best tennis that he, uh, he definitely did have a chance within the match. You know, it, it didn't pan out quite that way. The first set was obviously close. Disappointing that he ended up um, dropping his serve at five six after getting back. You know, down two breaks, breaks back twice to get even, and then ends up losing serve again. You know, the the uh, thirty love up in that game, serving at five six, and then the thirty all point, he kind of flagged a, a forehand long, and that cost him. And um, so it was, and after that, it was. You know, he's just trying to play catch up the whole time, which is exactly what had happened in the previous two matches as well. Yep. You know, Novak's just. I mean. We talked about before the match, I literally said to Tommy, I hope he plays his best tennis. I want to see Novak playing his best tennis and see if you can keep up with him. Mm. And that's not just a statement by me. That's what I want to see because I want to see where Tommy can lift his game to. And those kind of environments and playing that kind of guy uh, force you to do that. And and you, you hopefully see that you can play at a higher level. Tommy, in my opinion, did not produce his best tennis last night for any period of time whatsoever in the match, he played some very good points, yep. played a few points here and there back to back. But in my opinion, he didn't really, he didn't really even produce like his best tennis probably in a complete game. So it, it, it was a little bit frustrating from that standpoint, you, you look at it and you're like, okay, did he not produce his best tennis? Because it's his first semifinal and the the situation and the, and where he was and playing Novak, or was it because Novak wasn't allowing him to play his best tennis? And I think it's a combination of both those things.
0: So how how did he reflect? What were he his immediate thoughts in just you know having come off the court in battle with Djokovic?
3: Yeah, I mean when when we you know got back together and he he was in the cool down area and everything. I, I mean he just immediately was you know obviously not very happy. It's it's one of those things where uh, a good friend of mine who's a great coach, Tom Gullickson, mm-hmm. said to me a long, long, long time ago that uh, a coach had said to him when he was younger, you need 30 minutes of insanity after a loss. And, um, and, and I, I, I like to try and follow that. So, like, sometimes I'll give guys space. You know, I'll, come, I'll I'll always come and see the guys and shake their hands and say bad luck or whatever. But it kind of depends on where they are as to whether we start a conversation right then or we kind of wait a little bit. Tommy was in a frame where, you know, he wanted to start talking right away. So he obviously was very disappointed, was unhappy with himself, felt like he didn't serve as well as he needed to. Again, I think some of it in the moment for him, maybe in reflection now, I haven't actually talked to Tommy today. I mean, I texted with him a couple of times, but I haven't really seen him. He's got his girlfriend here, so I don't know where they are, but they're out exploring Melbourne, hopefully. Um but he, you know, you're a little bit unrealistic when you first come off the court, uh, and I, I think that he was um, pretty unhappy with himself, but I don't think he was probably giving Novak enough credit for, for what he did last night. The the return numbers, if you look at the statistics from yeah. the match, I mean, this is the first year TAs, you know, supplying us with a an iPad in the mm-hmm. coach's box area, and you have tons of information right in front of you, which I have to say was a benefit during Tommy's match against uh, Ben Shelton. But... Um, Against Novak, I mean I was just looking at the numbers on the on the screen and just like going, This is impossible. Like how's he actually doing what he's doing? He he <laughs> yep. he uh I, I I took a picture I took a picture a screenshot of it because he um he was returning I think eighty three percent this is at the very end of the match. Mm-hmm. Like this is like when we were done pretty much. Eighty three percent I think of forehand returns went in play. That's on both first and second serves. And ninety two percent of backhands. So Tommy saying, like, you know, I didn't serve well enough. Yeah, you're right. Obviously, you didn't serve well enough. I'm, I'm not sure that it would have made any
1: difference. The, the, the guy was a machine. Yeah, it's phenomenal to watch. Phenomenal. Brad, I'd be curious because I was listening to Tommy last night when he came in. and He said he was in the mood to talk, and I thought he was pretty uh, frank and good in the press afterward. But he was saying that, um, well, I had a plan, and basically it was kind of like the Mike Tyson thing where once you get punched in the mouth, then your plan goes out, <laughs> out the window. But he was sort of saying that uh, I wanted to serve him volley. I wanted to drop shot. I wanted to, uh, you know, chip my backhand. And he kind of said, all three of those things kind of failed on me. But you're got in match coaching this year, obviously, here. You're able to do that. And you have that iPad with you where you can look at all the numbers. Did you yeah. try to influence him to get back to those plans, or it was, wasn't possible?
3: I mean, I, I was disappointed, and that's one of the things we spoke about after the match. The biggest thing that was a disappointment to me was that he didn't serve in volley at all in the match. Not, not, not even one time. And, and especially when you're getting beat the way you're getting beat, you know, I mean, what's the difference if you get beat serving and volleying? You're, you're already, you know, getting your patootie handed to you in, in the match. So you might as well try and do some things that are a little bit different. So, th- I mean, that was part of the plan. Uh, we had some patterns of play that we felt like, you know, could be effective uh, against him. He broke down those patterns. You know, I, I don't know if he literally like read our minds or something and knew exactly you know what tommy was going to try and do but he didn't allow those patterns to happen because he was changing direction within the rally so early and and dictating and controlling what was going on and i I think it's been a it's been a little bit of a key throughout the entire tournament with novak but he's playing bigger off the ground He's just hitting his ground strokes bigger, and he, he was taking time away from Tommy and, and uh, making it really hard for him to play. I did, you know, at one point I stood up and leaned over the little barrier thing up there and, and yelled down to him and asked him to back up a little bit and give a little more space so that he got a little more time and could take a full cut on his ground strokes. Um, but even with that, it, it, you know, it just didn't make that much difference.
1: And also, I know you talked to me the other day. We did an interview for the New York Times, and you were talking about how his forehand's improved so much, especially his running forehand. But it seemed like Novak just knew where to put the ball, so he was kind of right at the edge of his talent there yeah, again that, and again.
3: I mean, again, Chris, for me, that was a disappointment, you know, is that we, we felt like in, through the majority of this tournament, you know, his forehand's been very good. He, he's he's done a lot of damage with his forehand. Novak, obviously, and Novak's a big stats guy. He, he likes looking at the analytics and the numbers and um, – you know, he obviously targeted Tommy's forehand right from the beginning last night. He was he was picking on his forehand. He was serving a lot to the forehand. He was hitting a, a lot of ground strokes to the forehand, and Tommy's forehand did not hold up. And and that was one of the things we talked about after the match also that was, you know, it was a disappointment that um, that he wasn't able to really stay with him from that standpoint, you know. And, again, I look at that, and it, the question is, was that Novak? Was that the environment? Um you know, what was the situation? So, you know, Chris, you and I spoke about this the other day, and I, I think I was being very frank and, and honest about it. You know, I mean, if, if before the tournament started, you said the 35th-ranked guy in the world would be in the semifinals of the Australian Open playing Novak Djokovic, what chance do you give him in that match? You'd say very little, you know. So it, it wasn't a surprise necessarily. Again, I go back to the comment that it was disappointing that Tommy didn't really – have the opportunity or couldn't create uh his best tennis for any longer period within the within the match you know where he might have been able to at least create a little bit of scoreboard pressure um you know and and maybe sneak something out that the first set was obviously if he gets to the breaker you know who knows it's one point here or there you take a little bit of risk take a rip at a ball and you hit a winner or something and all of a sudden you can win that set you know but um you know, and from there who knows what happens. Maybe maybe he loses two two and two after that, you know, and it's basically the same kind of match anyway,
1: but It does seem though, from watching him, Brad, and you'd know this from you know, being around him so much with Novak, because of the leg injury and what his abilities are to adapt he was ramping up the pace on the strokes from the beginning of the tournament, really going for more winners, and he hits it so clean that he can, he can do that. And yep. it's, it's like when he kind of wants to, he can.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. The thing, again, the thing that stood out to me first and foremost last night was the returning, and if you break that down and look at the second serve returning, he was adding pace to Tommy's serve on the return. He was He was sending the return back with as much or more authority than what Tommy was hitting the serve with. So that starts the point out, and then he's not missing very much off the ground. He's hitting the ball bigger off the ground than he has historically. And, I mean, he was unloading on balls last night, absolutely unloading. I don't know, you know, on TV it's probably hard to tell. Um, On radio it's probably even harder to tell. But um, it's – I mean, he was really, really cracking balls and taking time away. And then you add on top of that – that he was being incredibly precise with where he was hitting the ball, the depth on his ground strokes through the court. And then when he wanted to try and go closer to the lines, I mean, he was on top of of coming super close to lines on the sidelines. So, I mean, basically the guy played uh, goat tennis, you know, I mean, it was, he's, he's one of the herd of goats. And, uh, and he, I mean, he showed it last night. He showed it in the, you know, he showed it in the entire tournament, but, the last three matches especially, I mean, he's just been
0: demolishing, guys. Yeah, we've sat here, Brad, and watched uh, the the trifecta uh, throughout the course of this week. have uh, been quite phenomenal. Brad Stein, our special guest in the box, uh, building up to the women's final. Coach of Tommy Paul into battle with Djokovic uh, last night. The Just the big picture of uh, Tommy, you've worked with so many different players. You've been in this coaching caper a long time. Uh, We've got a a big, you know, group of American men inside the top 50, inside the top 100. I want to ask you about a couple who have been unearthed here in uh, a bigger light. But what did you think he was sort of capable of, Tommy, when you started to work with him? And, you know, obviously, you know, some players, rightly or wrongly, they sort of have a ceiling. This is a tough, brutal game in the men's game, as we know. But there seems to be more opportunities than ever before because, you know, Federer's gone, the Dale Towards the end now, Djokovic may go on for the next three or four years, but there's actually opportunity. But where did you think he could sort of get to, Tommy?
3: Uh, I mean, it, you know, it's hard. When I first started with Tommy, I mean, there was a lot of question marks in my own mind. Um, you know, we we spent uh, we spent the end of the year 2019 together. He was still playing challenger level tennis then. He was he was ranked about 130 in the world. Excuse me. Um, when we first started, and he was doing very well at the challenger level, but I mean, I had actual doubts that that he he could necessarily be a top 50, top 30 kind of guy. And then, you know, as we've spent more time and he's developed and his game has continued to progress, I mean, he's continued to prove me wrong from that thinking back then, you know, and you start to see what he's capable of and more and more and more. And even just in the last weeks before we came here, uh, you know, Tommy didn't play doubles here. And the reason he didn't play doubles here is because, We had a situation that occurred at the U.S. Open where he was supposed to play doubles, and um, he ended up having to pull out because he won his first two rounds in five sets. And it made no sense for him going into the match against Casper Ruud in the third round to play doubles on the off day. It just wasn't the right thing to do for him to be as ready as he could be. So we talked about not playing doubles here with the idea that we thought Tommy can be a second-week guy. Um, But that doesn't necessarily mean we thought semis. We just thought, you know, he's going to continue to progress and and hopefully improve his ranking and get deeper in the tournaments. But we've talked about the fact that I don't want him to play doubles for the next two years Mm -hmm. while we kind of determine and his results determine where he's going to fit into the hierarchy of tennis. Now he's cracked the top 20 with with this result here. The question is, can he stay there? Can he continue to have better results? We're trying to make a push this year for – the best results that we can in the bigger tournaments, in the Masters 1000s and the Grand Slams, because that's where you really no can push your ranking. Yep. So we've made a decision for him to cut a few tournaments out of his schedule so that we can focus more on on being as prepared as he can for those events and see if he can continue to have these kind of results and, and get deep in the tournaments.
0: Can I ask you, just taking your Tommy Paul hat off for just a moment, <laughs> now that we're getting right down to the business end, can Tsitsipas find any chink in the armor of Novak come tomorrow night?
3: Yeah, it's, it's – it's, um, I don't think – I mean, I haven't looked through his entire draw. I'm not even sure who Novak played earlier in the, in the rounds. But Stefanos does things that some of the other guys don't do. Um, can he hold up backhand to backhand with Novak? We'll see. But the one thing that he does do off of his backhand side is he gets the ball up more. He, he lifts the ball, and there's more rotation, and the ball comes up more. I mean, Tommy, Alex, Rublev, they're, they're all more drive hitters, especially mm. off the backhand side, mm. and the ball stays down, and it's pretty much right in, uh, right in Novak's slot where he likes to hit the ball out of. So it'll be interesting for me, in my mind, to see if Stefanos' natural tendency to, to shape the ball a little bit more off the backhand side and get it up can if that has any effect any negative effect on Novak's ability to produce the shots like he wants to um I'm sure he'll counter that in some way you know he may come closer and take the ball on the rise more um you know he's going to do different things if if he's feeling like oh the ball's getting up on me too much it's a little uncomfortable up here he's going to make adjustments that's one of the things that he's incredibly good at doing so I mean it's you know the matches are played for a reason right and um Stefanos is a great player. Mm-hmm. He's got a lot more experience at this uh tail end of these kind of deep big tournaments than the other guys that that he, Novak's been playing leading up to this. So we'll we'll have to see, you know, how he's feeling. If he can come out and play with a great sense of confidence and self-belief, then it, as long as you can hold serve and you can develop some Correct. scoreboard pressure, yep. then you know, you've got a chance. But Everybody so far that's been playing Novak has been getting behind.
0: Yeah, behind he, the eye very early. Yeah. yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So For me, there are three sectors from having watched him, you know, not as a coach, but as a journalist from the outside. One is the uh, the return game from Stefano, especially on the backhand side, it has not been a strength for him. Been invulnerable when you know, served well to on that side. He seems like he's doing it better in this tournament. He's, he's back a bit more from the baseline. He seems like he's kind to ripped through that backhand return from a deeper position. The other thing is, last year here when he played Medvedev, that backhand chip looked you know, not world-class. Yeah. And you're going to have to have a world-class backhand chip. I know Tommy, as you said earlier, didn't use it enough last night, probably for your taste against Novak. And the third thing is it seems to me like, um, you know, everybody looking at Novak's game and how well he's striking the ball and how well he defends the baseline. And, you know, Brad talking about the need to serve him volley last night that didn't happen. It Mm -hmm. seems like you need Stefanos with his good volleying skills and athleticism to get up there at least a good chunk of the time. So I think how that pattern plays out, does he serve him volley some? Is he able to really hit, a, you know, approach shots, ripping them? Probably not a whole lot of chipping is going to work against Novak to make him get a position to hit winning volleys. That seems to be like a good play for me, but I'd be curious what Brad thinks of those three things. Yeah, no,
3: I, th- I think you're exactly right, especially the return really sticks out in my mind. He's He's made a big adjustment this year with returning from a much deeper position off second serves especially because you can, I mean, historically guys have been able to kind of rush him into the backhand side and he gets caught, and he gets kind of late on the swing. And he either, if he makes it, it kind of doesn't penetrate through the court. So you get a good whack at the first ball, or, or a lot of times he'll not a lot of times, but he'll you know he'll just miss it outright some of the time. So I think that that deeper position is definitely something that that has given him an opportunity to get into more points. And you know it'll be interesting to see how he's able to create that with Novak, and if he if if he can make it work for him where he's able to put enough pressure on him. I mean Tommy, Tommy had opportunities to break Novak last night that he didn't capitalize on. He broke him a couple of times in that first set. Um, there were other opportunities where he had break points and just didn't, you know, make the plays to to finish off and be able to make the breaks. But, uh, again, I think Stefanos is going to be more comfortable in the environment as well. So we'll see. And, and you know, we haven't talked about his forehand, but his forehand is, you know, very heavy. Yeah. And so it'll be interesting to see if he can – step up and use the extra pace that Novak is creating off of his ground strokes and, and be able to put that back on him with his own.
0: Yeah, I think, what, 26 winners off that uh, forehand uh, last night. It was uh, well, yesterday afternoon. It was pretty devastating. Just um, a couple more from me, uh, Brad. This The American pack, I mean, it's batting deep. Uh, the Aussie audience here got some exposure to young Ben Shelton, knocked out our very own Alexei Popram. I watched all these sort of challenges uh, last year and, Love watching him. A little bit of a swagger, a little bit of charisma out there. The lefty always, you know, adds something a little bit different. But he looks like he's going to be one that's going to be sticking around. Seb quarter, we know, is uh, where he lands eventually. It'll, it'll be uh, fascinating. JJ Wolf has taken a, a big sort of step in the right direction. Um, talk talk through, you know, some of Tommy's contemporaries and. They're all sort of jockeying and pushing each other, and it's not only in that top 50, but in the top 100. Yeah, it's been fun to watch
3: as we see more and more guys. You know, Ben coming out especially, you know, he he was uh, he just made a meteoric rise to, to getting into the top 100. He's already passed his father's career high ranking. And um, so, yeah, Ben's one, obviously, to keep an eye on. I think also we, we do have to you know be honest from that bottom quarter of the draw ben came out of that bottom quarter as did tommy yep. and and they had pretty advantageous draws you have to be able to take advantage of your draw but before ben played tommy he hadn't played anybody inside the top 50 he actually played two guys that were outside mm-hmm. the top 100 mm-hmm. so you know, I, I think that had he had a tougher draw, potentially he might not have made it as far as he did. That's not to say that he's not going to be a great player. I think he is. And Tommy literally after the match in the quarter said that I have never had as tough a time returning someone serve as Ben serve. He said the, the way it came off the court, and he said it was like Tommy's very, very good at finding little tells in guys serve sometimes where he can get a read on where the guy's going to go he said he couldn't read Ben's serve at all he said he had absolutely no clue where Ben's serve was going which is maybe why he asked his coach which way he should look on one serve but you should never answer that if you're a coach I guess from now on
0: I'll tell you I was feeling for the ball kid though, <laughs> just having to duck and wave exactly they were coming down a rapid pace so Tommy's off to play uh Davis Cup.
3: Davis Cup. In the mighty Uzbekistan. In, in beautiful Uzbekistan. Yeah. I, I, you know what? I, I do have to say, uh, obviously, I'm involved with him, but I'm very proud of Tommy that he's um, made the commitment to play Davis Cup mm-hmm. and that um, going as deep as he did in the tournament here didn't um, didn't even sway his mind for even one second about the idea that he was committed to go and play Davis Cup for the U.S.
0: Can I just ask you a quick view on the Davis Cup? Obviously sure. It's a huge talking point. We saw the Grand Slam board come out and make their own statement. Last night about wanting to keep its uh, its history, we know the whole deal with the ITF and Cosmos, and well, there's been obviously a lot of opposition here in Australia with their rich um, uh, history with the uh, Davis Cup. Do you think it can be resurrected? What, what's the, what does it look like going forward? Because we, it clearly it's yeah, I mean, fallen apart, f- really.
3: F- for me, there's two things that should happen. The One is that you have to bring back home and away ties. I think that's where you create the most excitement. Yeah, I, I think that there was a, a misguided view that you could somehow create excitement by playing at a neutral site, no. but but it just didn't didn't happen at all. And of course, you know when you play home and ways, you lose some of your viewership as as you progress through the draw. Yep. But you know if you play a home tie here against anybody, it's sold out. If you play a home tie in France or Italy or Spain or anywhere else or anywhere in South America, you know, it's sold out. And that environment creates so much energy, uh, whether it's on the TV or radio or people there live watching the matches. And that's one of the things that's always been the greatest about Davis Cup. No idea. So for me, that's first is you bring back the home and away ties. And then second is that I I can live personally. I don't like it, to be honest, but I can live with – two out of three sets instead yep. of three out of five sets but you have to bring back the reverse singles mm. you, you need to go back to the format where you play two singles on Friday a, a doubles match on Saturday and two singles on Sunday because two out of three matches just creates it, it's like anything I say this all the time um, you shorten the format, you create a much greater degree of luck, yep. and there's going to be way more upsets, and, and you, you don't want that necessarily. I mean, I, again, I, I don't know, maybe people sat in a, in a room someplace and said, hey, yeah, we want more upsets, we want to have things happen, you know, or whatever, but mm-hmm. I don't think that's what you want. You want the best teams to progress yep. through the draw. So for me, those are the two biggest things, and, and that brings it back at least close to where the traditional Davis
0: Cup was before. Let's hope wise minds get together and uh, get it sorted. Brad, great to get your insights, pick your brain, love listening to you. and. Uh, good luck to Tommy. We're going to follow his journey, uh, post his semi-final result to see where he can uh, kick on to. And you've won us over tonight because you've brought in gifts as well to keep us fueled <laughs> for a big night of uh, singles and the Aussies and the doubles. We're going to get through maybe to midnight uh, tonight. Uh, safe travels this year and really appreciate you stopping by.
3: Thank you so much, you guys. I appreciate it.
0: Uh, Brad Stein, the current coach of Tommy Paul, who was, of course, in battle with uh, Novak Djokovic uh, last night here on Rod Laver Arena. We'll take a break. Uh, we will continue our build-up to the women's singles final...
3: A pinnacle of engineering, Kia EV6 GT, the most powerful Kia ever crafted. Live from Melbourne Park, this is SEN Tennis.
0: Welcome back to Melbourne Park. Uh, Brett Phillips, uh, Chris Cleary from the New York Times. Alongside me, we're building up to the women's singles final tonight. Elena Rybakina and Irina Sabalenka. great to have the wise words of Brad Stein for the last 15 minutes. Long-time coach in the game, over three decades. Uh, he's coached some big names and guiding the fortunes of the American uh, Tommy Paul. Uh, Chris, can I ask, uh, wh- where do you think Tommy can sort of maybe peak to? I mean, now, you know, he gets he creeps inside the top 20 on the back of uh, making a semi-final uh, major run, so you get the maximum value in terms of uh, the ranking, but... He walks away from Australia and you sort of gotta you gotta start again. You gotta keep that momentum going. It's a
1: great great question, Brad. he's such a good athlete. You could see last night I think Novak the first drop shot Novak hit, he (laughs) I think he was surprised by how quickly Tommy got there. But I don't know, I know Brad's working on this, um, in terms of trying to make the forehand more of a weapon and he's got a great backhand, but he doesn't really have a like a, a rally killing weapon. Everything's really, really good tending toward excellent now but there's not one thing that just like takes you out of the point consistently mm. Mm. which I think is why he's trying to get him to come forward more because he's got great hands up there so it's going to be kind of a total package player which is a little more complicated I mean because you have to, you're not going to get as many easy points that way you have to fight yep. for everything yep. so it could be kind of a, a style that could be tough on the mind and the legs over time personally I think Tommy's got the shot quality and the athleticism to go top 10 mm. I don't see a Grand Slam champion there but I hope I'm wrong but I don't see that And I think he did have a great draw here, as Brad, you know, very, uh, I think, uh, honestly pointed out, and Ben Shelton as well had great draws. But it's a whole group of Americans who are going to push each other, uh, much as you've seen in the game through the years. And I think that's going to be what will drive them, is that it's a very limited pie for tennis interest and tennis money in the U.S., and these guys are, are, are going to fight for it, hopefully in a very good natured, friendly way, but they got to fight for it.
0: Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, the Aussies have just stepped on out of court. Uh, Rinky Hitchikata and Jason Kubler are going to play in the dubs uh, here later tonight in the final. Uh, big chance against the unseated pairing, Zielinski and uh, Nice. They're at having a little hit at uh, the moment. Gee, back to back years, maybe Australian Open champions on the men's side. Uh, Davis Cup, well, you just have a little discussion on that? I know you've done a lot on it, uh, we've d- discussed a lot on it. Um, you know, on SEN, the first serve across uh, the journey, we are going to uh, pick the brains. We haven't had a chance to talk to Mark Woodford, and he's been part of our team. We'll do this uh, tomorrow night. What about your own thoughts on the back of what Brad said about the future of the Davis Cup? Look, I don't want to
1: overdo it because we talked about it a lot, but it's such an important thing. It, it was such a special event in tennis. It really was on the same level as the Grand Slams at one point in, in the history of the game, and has such rich tradition in so many countries, including mine, where it hasn't been as big as it's been in Australia in recent years. But I think it could build up again because it hits that nationalistic chord. But I feel like the key thing that you know Brad talked about, the things for him that were key were bringing back the home and away and also maybe addressing the best of three, best of five thing. To me, the critical thing is you've got to get the best players in the world to play at the same time and to go head to head.
0: Okay. so what, what And that
1: hasn't happened.
0: So what's satisfactory to you in that regard? Because you're not going to get everyone. Does that mean X amount out of the top 20 or 30 you've got to commit to Davis Cup to make it an appealing enough product? There's no more ATP Cup. I think people have to recognize
1: there's not really a venue for men's players. Mm-hmm. The United Cup, to me, looks very promising, but it's a whole different animal. Yep. The men's players and the tradition of the Davis Cup has to go through the Davis Cup now. That's, that's, what, that's what exists. The sport needs to get behind it. And the top players need to see, with their agents and they're business people, the beauty that there is in this kind of format of how it can elevate you in a way that nothing else can. The Olympics is still an individual event. Yep. You can make an argument the Olympics should go to a team event, but if they have Davis Cup and that's the only team venue, the sport as a whole needs to see the greater good, and either the money's got to be increased through the Grand Slams contributing hmm. or the ATP contributing, but they got to make it big enough that the top players are going to really regret passing it up because look at this, Brett. We have the greatest, one of the greatest areas in, in modern sport, mm-hmm. And in men's tennis, yep. with the golden era, Novak, Rafa, Roger, Murray, then you add in people like Vavrinka. none of those guys ever played in a meaningful Davis Cup match. No. And they played so many times everywhere else. Mm. And that, to me, is what ultimately created the space for a Cosmos to come in and mess it all up. And the ITF made the wrong call there, obviously. But I think it's that's what has to have be you have to know that's a possibility— Otherwise, I think it's doomed.
0: Yeah, I mean, it has to get back. I mean, the home and away ties—that's that, what set set it apart. I mean, I just think back whether you had uh, twenty thousand at Rod Laver here supporting, or you had 20,000 against you. That's that—that that was at the unique atmosphere of Davis Cup. If you just closed your eyes, Chris, that sound of the Davis Cup—that's that, been totally taken away. Yeah,
1: I mean, I was I was there the, the, when they first moved it to Madrid for the the first Cosmos year the first of the PK Cup, as they called it, and I was there at 3 in the morning for Italy, U.S., and there was like you know 20 of us in the stadium. Yeah, A lot more in Australia at 3 a.m. than there were there.
0: Absolutely.
1: But the only thing is, yeah, home and away, that needs to be part of it. I don't have a problem with like a Final Four, as long as one of the Final Four is the home team. Mm. And if you build it up, say, over two years, or you make it every four years, but the money's got to be there to sustain the International Tennis Federation, which needs it to survive. But you got to get the best players in the world most of the time in it and they got to play each other
0: yep we'll uh, talk about it with mark woodford who's obviously got a an itf uh, hat that he wears uh tomorrow night when he joins us for the men's final uh, let's look ahead to the women here tonight what do you, what are you what are you expecting here i mean as we mentioned off the top this has the makings of been a really good competitive final uh both can really mount a strong case to win this match here tonight
1: well, i'm just flashing back to a year ago was such a great story for Australia and World Sport Women's Tennis with Ash Barty winning, but just stylistically, what a different match, you know? Yeah, very. I mean, Ash carving up the ball, spins, variety, changes of pace. Yeah. We're going to see none of that tonight. Uh-huh. This is going to be I'm coming at you with what you know is coming and you got to react to yeah. it. And you got to react quickly because these players are so powerful, both of them. Huge hitters off the ground. Mm. And, um, you know, some of Sabalenka's forehands clock in as was mentioned this week faster than the men. Ribakina's Ryb- first serve speed is faster than about uh, 20% of the men's field. Yep. These are really, really powerful athletes. Very different types. is more explosive Absolutely. and volatile. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd say is more of a rhythm power player in a way, very flowing. But you get close to the court and you see the pace she can get in counter-punching or in just punching. It's tremendous. And that serve is not just a blast serve. It's also, mm-hmm. she's got touch. She can hit the nice uh, slice to the outside. She didn't serve great in the semi, I didn't think. Uh, against um, you know Azarenka, but she definitely uh, has more variety than you might expect on that shot. And I think she proved last year at Wimbledon when she won, I mean, she beat quality players, and she's beating more quality players here. She's beaten five Grand Slam singles champions in those two tournaments combined. Sabalenka won't be one of them, but Sabalenka's been, you know, somebody everybody
0: knew was going to come at some point when she got the serve right. That, that's the key, isn't it? Because you get into these grand battles with uh, Sabalenka. I mean, you know, Magdalene, just watching it the other night, there's only so much she could absorb. And she's trying to stay in the points, trying to find an opening. But, boy, boy, it's like a tidal wave uh, coming at her. So I just wonder with Sabalenka if it gets really tight uh, here tonight. And she seems like she's in a really good state, uh, much better mental state. Uh, you know, she's got that volatility uh, about her. And she wears a heart on her sleeve, which I love. I've loved her from day one, just watching her. Real competitor. And learning to just manage her emotions, uh, but you just hope uh, that you know if under pressure she doesn't get tight, and that the serve yips back to haunt her. I mean that's that's the worst case scenario. But the grand battle is going to be really really fascinating. Um, hard to hard to know who wins that. Totally, yeah. Uh, you know, Sir Blake is going to blast the ball. It's, it's interesting watching Rebecca from our bunker here. I mean she obviously is bigger in the court, bigger stature. But it's not like she's, it seems like a beautiful, she's a beautiful timer of the ball. It's not that, you know, it's not letting out all the, um, the, the outward exertion that, uh, Sabalenka does when she's quiet and then the ground strokes sort of match, match her. They're, they're going through the court at a rapid pace, but it's a different sort of power. Does that make sense? No, it does. I think that's right. You know, I think you've got introverted big
1: power and extroverted big power. Oh, yeah. That's the way to put it, probably. Mm. And Sebalenka, we know what she is. She's the extrovert. She's the one with the tiger on her, tattoo on her arm and all that. But she is, um, definitely, a. I think potentially a more inconsistent mental and and physical presence in a match like this. But when she hits the high notes, I mean, she's unstoppable with the, especially that forehand is just a powerful, powerful shot. Talked to um, Rybakina last week, got a nice long interview with her and her coach Stefano Vukov just about the, um, you know, her path and her journey. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because I think she has had in some ways to learn to express herself more on the court. And she goes. I recognize that usually, the, usually the problem is the opposite. Usually, you're trying to find a way to contain your emotions. I need to find a way to express mine a little bit more because I think it holds me back, and I feel maybe uh, tighter than I need to feel when I don't. I'm not able to let anything out. And whereas for Sabalenka, it's quite the opposite. She's had to learn how to tone it down, tap it down, not have the same roller coaster emotions, so she can have a bit more consistency in the match. Vukov did say he felt like whoever served better tonight would win. Hmm. If that's the case, you got to lean toward his player. Absolutely. But they're both, in terms of the stats. Uh, returning they have the most return winners both mm. of them in the, in the tournament mm. together um i think sarah is first and rebecca in a second so they're going to go after any second serve that hangs is going to yeah. be crushed mm. and there's going to be a lot of sound of yes for winners and a lot of sounds of balls hitting the net tape very hard
0: yes and yeah, that'll that'll come through folks uh tonight uh that yeah, it's it's an absolute contrast uh, to last year and uh, we do miss uh, Ashbarty every time I think of all the things she brought to the tennis court, all the variety. Uh, many people in Australia wouldn't know uh, um, the coach of uh, Rebecca. They've been together for some time now. So we're seeing him on the TV a lot. He's pretty vocal and a bit demonstrative at times. Um, you know, she's obviously quite mellow uh, out on the court, not letting much emotion. Can you give us any insights into the coach and, and how they're formed such a, a great union that's now taken her what uh, Wimbledon last year, winning the, winning the championships and another final here. Look, I don't know what happens on the
1: practice court. Uh, it definitely, uh, I, I don't think everybody loved what they were seeing. Some of the, in, you know, they have the in-match coaching we talked about with Brad earlier this year. First time at the Australian Open, it's allowed from the stands like that, and um, and Stefano was was very aggressive in the box toward Ribakina, and and very you know a lot of directives kind of getting frustrated exasperated with her that rubs people the wrong way it's like he was uh, kind of going after his player he said that's what she that's what she wants she wants emotion from her box because she can't always produce it herself mm. and also you said it was very loud in there i got to get my voice across the crowd and get and make my points that was his thing but he's he's definitely a he's a good interview He's an emotional guy. He's uh, from Croatia. He's got Italian blood as well. He's somebody who uh, has brought her up basically from outside the top 100 to Wimbledon champion. So I think he's developed a lot of self-belief. And uh, he's helped shape her game into what uh, was very much raw material at the beginning. And so uh, I think they also had some problems after Wimbledon getting everything in place. She had some bad losses, didn't play great after that in a lot of ways. Uh, Some early round losses. I guess it was probably the tumult of having that experience and and trying to go back to Kazakhstan and where she rarely spends time and and sort of meet that moment and you know do the country justice and that. But he said they had a really really good preseason in Dubai, one of the places that they train, and that she was able to really lock a lot of stuff in, and you can see it.
0: And she looks out of that uh, female pack of players, Chris. She does look like one that could win multiple slams.
1: I agree. No, I think that's right. And Sabalenka, as long as her serve is right, I think is in that crew as well. But but Rybakina has had success on clay as well. So she's definitely done well on all surfaces. The well at the French Open was kind of her first uh, good grand slam. And she's just an amazing rhythm player when she's on. And she has incredible timing. Uh, and also an extension. I mean, she's not a great mover. Mm. But for somebody that size, six feet tall, with that much natural power and that good to serve, she moves pretty well. She moves well. I've noticed coming forward. Yep. So you might try to drop her to get out of rhythm, but she comes forward, attacks the ball well, and then she finishes decently at the net. So she's got
0: skills. Sembilinka's story really uh, fascinates me. I mean, you know, she uh, she started in the juniors a little bit later. I mean, she was playing ITF uh, sort of senior events before she was playing junior events, didn't play the junior slams. And then, you know, that ranking, if you go back to, um, what, age 17 was 548, jumped to 159 the year after, so in the space of 2 years went from 548 to 78 then the massive jump from 78 to 11 in the world uh, at the age of 19 to 20 and then she's obviously skyrocketed all the way up to uh, world number 2 uh, we always talk about in tennis all the different journeys that uh, players uh, go on we've learned about you know young Belt, Ben Shelton here um, not really taking it uh, seriously to sort of his you know mid teens really getting into tennis I mean, I always laugh, Chris, when you hear about uh, the backstory of players. You know, I, started, I picked up a racket, and I was two or well, three. You know, it was put in my hand, and that, that was destiny. But uh, the Sabalinka journey is is really, really fascinating because a lot more are starting to go down that college path now. But some will think, "No, I can just go and hit the the tour," and she has in a, in a big way. So we always knew going back uh, to that year where she won about uh, what three or four titles into eighteen to nineteen. Now, that at some point, this type of moment was going to come for her.
1: Yeah, she had Dimitri Tursunov uh, in her corner at that point as a coach, and they really clicked. I did. Uh, Tursunov has proven that he's mm. a very, very good coach. Um, I think he's somebody who's going to have a, a good impact on Belinda Benchich's game going forward. I already helped her this yep. this season at the beginning. Helped Annette Kontovite also go forward You know, to number two in the world for a while, which was, a big, I think, a big performance. So he knows, he knew what he was doing, and he really was able to get her game in place. Um, you know, she comes out of uh, Minsk in that area there. There were people like Azarenka who had uh, become superstars in her country, so she could see the path in tennis in front of her that was possible. Max Mirny as well uh, on, the, on the men's side with doubles and a, and a very good singles player. So others laid down the path for her, but she's just, you know, a supremely powerful athlete. I mean, she could have succeeded in a lot of sports. I wouldn't mind seeing her on a basketball court the way she's built it the way she moves, but she was – a matter of channeling it all and and finding a way to provide some margin for error because she she goes for it. She has that kind of personality. So who wins? I'm gonna go with Rybakina tonight. Mm. I just feel like the overall consistency, the fact that her serve has been locked in and um and Sabalenka's despite the progress and you know, all credit to her for getting over the yips. I think I think Rybakina's serve is a better weapon. So uh and I think she's gonna understand how to get
0: Sabalenka... Uh, like Lynette a little bit off balance and makes more errors that's ahead of us what about the biggest takeaways out of the last four night? on the women's side what have, what have you taken out a couple of
1: well I, you know I, I kind of felt like Igis Swiatek was you know ready to become a, a long-term champion I, I still feel that in my bones a little bit just based on her athleticism her work ethic her intelligence the way she dominated the tour last year but then you see these players like Rebecca and Sabalenka hitting new levels now and then you see the way this women's tournament has gone again, it feels a bit more like uh, chaos again. So it's hard. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a little unsettled by that. I was kind of locking into a little bit of a narrative, and I think uh... – I'm much sure of that narrative is going to hold up?
0: No, and we won't see. So, Eagle will play. Where will she bob up? I mean, obviously, Indian Wells, Miami. Uh, I think she'll go. Obviously, there's the Middle East in in Feb, which is probably where we'll see her next. I think she's supposed to go to Dubai. I don't yeah. know what she'll end up doing. I mean, she may
1: change her plans. She was obviously in a little bit of uh, disarray mm. in this tournament here. Maybe she needs to kind of go back and reboot. But uh, I know she'll do it thoughtfully. She has that kind of a personality, and she is a fantastic mover and, and athlete, and uh, and the clay suits her like.
0: Like nothing else does. Yeah, I mean, she's obviously got a huge margin in terms of that number one ranking. Uh, whoever uh, wins here tonight still, uh, she's going to have that sort of 4,000-point uh, buffer. So uh, she's uh, uh, looking pretty good, and obviously can just go away and reset for a little period, have a think about things. And uh, when you're the hunted, it's it's a tougher song in sport when everyone wants to take, a, take you down.
1: Yeah, and she's talked very openly about that, which I think is smart. Mm. I think she's not trying to put up a facade... And she has her performance psychologist with her, Daria, who's been a big factor in her success. They have a lot to work on. I mean, Iga's a, a complex personality, and it's it's a lot to, it's a lot to carry. And you forget when you're in Australia, but she is a huge star in Poland. Mm. Much like Sanya Mirza, who finished up here yesterday, you know, in her career in Australia, was in India.
0: Yep. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah, people wouldn't realize here, RSE an audience who obviously love all uh, their sport, uh, Chris, know how big Sachin Tendulkar was in India, and still is. I mean, Sachin... You know, still, I still th- I think can go outside without having a disguise on. He just gets absolutely mobbed. But Sonia murta people wouldn't understand how big she was. I mean, she's the trailblazer really for Indian tennis, alongside you know Bo and and um, uh, Mahesh Bhupathi as well. From that same uh, generation that were billboards up. I think you know Sania, and and she's been prepared to sort of um, just sort of prick the needle a bit across the journey, hasn't she? Just you know how many Instagram
1: followers she has, bro.
0: I haven't looked. I, I can imagine it'd be a hell
1: of a lot more than 80. Eleven million. Yes. <laughs> and this is the not a single star. This is the number one doubles player yeah. in the world at one point. But somebody who crossed a lot of barriers. And so I, yeah, I think that tells you something right there. And, and I, I don't know how many Iga has, but in Poland, she's she's the biggest thing.
0: Mm. I think she's married to uh, is it Show Malik, the Pakistan uh, cricketer. So yeah, and, and obviously we saw a young child in the box uh, yesterday. So if she's retiring, there was no announcement from Bopanius, So he Was he just going to keep playing? Yeah,
1: Boban I mean, looking like looking like old man time there with <laughs> yeah. the grey and the beard and his the body I can relate to. Yeah, absolutely.
0: O four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. You can uh, certainly send your text through. O four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. We thanks to Kia. It is the uh, pinnacle of engineering, the Kia EV6 GT, the most powerful Kia ever crafted. Maybe just a quick look ahead to uh, tomorrow as well. I know we've discussed it a bit with uh, Brad, but hopefully we're going to get a really decent uh, men's final. But hard to know if he's in that sort of invincible mood, uh, Djokovic. But it would be it'd be a great moment, obviously, for City Pass to get a breakthrough, go to world number one, do it in a place like Melbourne where he's got incredible support from the uh, Greek community. It seems like it's just a big mountain for everyone to climb. But going through. You know the tournament. As we turn the page into the second week, we sort of identify that he was he was the best chance if he get if he could get to the decider. Um, but the start we keep talking about the start. That's what uh, something has to change in in that regard. Easier said than done. Do you give him any chance? Any chance at all, Chris, in the final? Yeah, as we discussed, I do think for
1: me it's how much can he attack. So I think that's uh, he has. You know, excellent, uh, excellent hands, and he's a great athlete, and he can do a lot of of great things up up in the forecourt. But he's got to get there, and and I think the beginning of the match is really important because I think if Novak
0: locks in, uh, it's kind of like the Empire won't strike back. No, it's good not early. (laughs) Uh, We've seen it. We've witnessed it all here in front of us uh, throughout the week. Been great to have you part of our team. Are you back with us? I think uh, tomorrow you're back. With, with, great, one with great pleasure,
1: with great pleasure, Brett. <laughs> I actually got some sleep last night, so all was good.
0: So did I. How good was it to wake up today thinking I'd have to actually be in here till later on? I can actually get a proper uh, eight or nine hours sleep, which was brilliant. Uh, Chris Cleary will be back with us for our pre-match uh, tomorrow night leading into the men's final. Lou Fleming to join us uh, very shortly. Uh, roof closed. The light's going to be dim. The big pre-show here before the women's final. And the players are about uh, half an hour away from uh, joining us for what we hope is going to be a classic women's singles final. All coming up.